Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Straight Up, the pop culture podcast that lifts the lid on fame. Yes, we do. Week in, week out, hosted by me and Kathleen over there. Hi, babe. I haven't seen you for a week. Hello, my love. I know. It's been a seriously long time in our world. It's sad that I'm only seeing your face through a little Zoom screen right now, but, you know, things to do, intros to record, episodes to get live. We're hanging out on Thursday, actually. We are. We will report back. We're going to go for a, a nice, is it drinks or a meal? I can't remember, but. It's drinks and a meal. Fab. Love a little yeah. Thursday evening out. I know. Well, actually, in my old age, I'm going out less and less on weekdays. And I actually had a stern word with my partner last week. And I was like, we have to do more in the week because we are literally spending our weeks like retirees. Like from the age (laughs) of 40, you spend Monday to Friday at home anyway. So why are we... Why are we rushing that phase in our lives by starting early? Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? I totally hear you. It's such a balance because I think when I don't do anything all week, by the end of the week, I'm like, oh my God, like kill me now. But when I do too much during the week, I seriously regret it. I hate drinking more than once in the week, for example. I feel like it just throws me off all my work vibes. So yeah, I'd like a balance. I'd say one good weeknight out a week. That's where I'm at. Yes. Currently, I'm hitting zero weeknight. I mean, Friday night, obviously, but that doesn't count. No. Also, it's quite hard for us because we're always podcasting, like, at least one evening. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. Well, um, talking of fun nights out, I had three in a row last weekend because I was at a three-day bonanza, an Indian wedding. I am literally so excited to hear about this. Can I just say, firstly, your outfits looked amazing. Oh, Tell me about your saris. Like, where did you get them? You had a green and a pink. Did you have a third outfit? No, I had a green and a pink. That was it. Well, they're actually lengas. So saris, we were warned by the bride, my friend Akriti, um, were too complicated for us uh, to put on probably because there's so much like tying and wrapping of the fabrics. So she was like, go for a lenga, which is like a crop top and a skirt or like a, a crop top and trousers. Ooh, and I how rented- handy for you. Love a little crop top. I do. And um, I rented one from By Rotation, uh, which was fab. 30 quid uh, for three days, which was really not that bad. A beautiful emerald green. And then I borrowed a pink one from my friend Sophie. But my God, I just had the best time. It was so amazing. Like things like the groom had his own procession where we danced for 30 minutes whilst like dancing up a hill with him emerging on a white horse behind us. Um, like a beautiful, pristine white horse. And he was wearing, what I love as well about um, traditional Indian weddings is that the groom is wearing all white. He is the chaste one. And the the bride wears red um, for the traditional ceremony because it's a sign of fertility. And it was so nice actually not seeing a woman in white on her wedding day. My God, I love Um, that. It was beautiful. The bride looked insane. And we had all these like traditional ceremonies like um, where we put turmeric all over the bride and groom because it like signals like good luck and well wishes. And you literally like, you have to wear clothes you don't mind getting dirty because you're like, your hands are covered in turmeric and you can't get that out of clothes. Um, And we did so much amazing dancing. We had to prepare a special dance to this song called Jalebi Baby. And I am such a bad dancer and I had to do Bangra, which is so difficult because you have to move your arms and your legs at the same time in completely opposite (laughs) directions. I would have paid such good money to watch you do that. Can I ask, so who's we? How many of you were doing this dance? Uh, About 30 of us. Oh, wow. Because your partner was the best man, right? 
He was one of the six best men. He was six best men? Each. Wow. Yeah. So they each had separate roles. He had to do a speech with another one. Whereas like two organized the stag and like, you know, it was very well organized. Um, but yeah, we had the bride of Crete, he had rented out this a studio in Balham for people like three weekends in a row ahead of the wedding. And we came and rehearsed and it was so cool. So uh, one of the nights, a Saturday night, it was just um, choreographed dances from all the people at the wedding. So like the mum had her own dance, like the sister had her own dance. The bride did the most like romantic, gorgeous dance, like directly to Jason, the groom who was sitting on a chair and like weeping um and then we did ours and it was just so amazing to have like such a like so much effort put into an evening and to see everyone having rehearsed these amazing dances I mean that just doesn't really happen usually at weddings plus what I also loved was how important the role of like the elders were like the grandparents were like the star of the show they also did a speech like the mum was the like pipe piper of the dance floor like (laughs) we were very much in awe of everyone over 50 essentially that's amazing I know because normally you think oh the poor little parents like sidelined like dancing like losers on the edge of the dance floor (laughs) yeah everyone wanted to dance with the uncles and the parents and like congratulate the granddad on his speech that is too cute so tell me about the food was there like an amazing feast it was an amazing feast um every night there was this amazing buffet and they'd also done like special breakfast with like lassies which i love i love a mango lassie it was amazing um yeah it was i mean i just couldn't have asked for a better wedding and normally i'm also someone that's a bit scared of organized fun but actually i really rose to the occasion and specifically on the dance floor because i think i get a bit um scared of dancing (laughs) with no structure i'm like do I look weird? What am I doing? Whereas with the Indian weddings, there's like a few specific dance moves and you just do that all night. So yeah, it was amazing. My weekend was so cute. I went to Devon, your oh, old neck of the woods. My, is it your paternal your neck of the woods? My, your dad's parents? Yes. It was actually near Dartmoor. Ah, oh, lovely. Friends of ours actually moved out of London and bought a farm. And they are basically setting up this amazing, like super sustainable, regenerative, incredible space. Obviously, it's going to take a while. They obviously are not doing it full time yet, but it was just the best. They have sheep. They have like 100 acres of land. They've got a lake that you can like wild swim in. Arthur, the dog, was obviously on cloud nine running around. It was so wholesome, so cute. We ate the lamb that they're like, are their lambs that they got slaughtered last week which I actually do mention later in the episode since this and what, is all about must cooking. you say slaughter Cathers? I know well I was going to say kill which is what I say later but then that seems a bit brutal as well so mm. apparently what you do don't know if anyone wants to know this but as a farmer obviously you don't slaughter your own animals you actually have to just take them to the abattoir and pay 30 quid for them to do it and at, at 30 quid uh, per animal per lamb apparently uh, so oh my, oh my god I've literally just bought a lamb birthday card for my mum so this is quite distressing <laughs> oh, to hear. it's like it's like a really cute lamb smiling on the front of the card oh no sorry um, to ruin that for you I actually this is really pathetic but I find it really difficult to eat lamb because I think of little spring lambs hopping around no really I mean I know what you mean they're like cute babies <laughs> they did also tell me that a lot of the sheep farmers that work around that area again sorry if anyone is listening to this while they are eating but my friend did say that the local sheep farmers don't eat lamb because they've had to deal with like rotting lamb carcasses and stuff so often that the smell literally turns their stomachs and they absolutely cannot go near it 
Oh my god, this is like this is like hearing about the the rotting salmon. I, I won't go on about the rotting salmon documentary. The rotting salmon, but documentary. maybe I'll say it. Maybe I'll say it anyway. Um, basically, there's a documentary that was on the BBC last year that shocked everyone because it showed that all the um, salmon that are f- farmed in like salmon farms, oh, like yeah. non-wild salmon, uh, are basically constantly rotting and full oh. of lice and eating each other. And therefore they have to be dyed pink. When you see them on the uh, shelves, they're yeah. not actually pink, they're dyed pink. They're actually Pe- grey. People do say farm salmon is like really, really bad for you. It's got like, it's filled with antibiotics and stuff, like you say, because they're so riddled with the d- disease that they have to be like, pumped with chemicals uh, which all of which is very fitting <laughs> yeah. topic to move on to this week's guest since it's the chef consultant award-winning food writer restauranteur Gizzy Erskine big advocate for ethical meat and fish consumption and farming wow. as it just so happens <laughs> well I mean what a absolutely sparkling segue there <laughs> not a intentional ridden segue I know yeah. sorry Gizzy well, not too uh- <laughs> Gizzy is actually incredibly gorgeous. I oh, was looking so at her gorgeous. Instagram the other day. Beautiful skin. Can I just say, she does mention which treatment she's had. <gasps> You'll be pleased to know. Go on, Gizzy. Great. We love that transparency. Cannot wait to listen to it. So uh, full disclosure, listeners, I haven't heard this fabulous episode because I was at said Indian wedding. So couldn't make it to the recording. But I'm very excited to hear it. I missed you so much. I'm so out of my comfort zone without you. However, I'm also very excited for you to be a listener this week. I know. I can give you my honest, real feedback. I'm going to be so mean. No trolling comments on Spotify, please. (laughs) From me, imagine. Um, Actually, on that topic, not that this was a troll, but... Just to clarify, guys, because someone did, in fact, comment last week on our Barbie debrief that we'd got something wrong with regards to the film. So calling Barbie a child-free icon, they felt was incorrect because of Midge, Mm. the pregnant Barbie in the film. Just to clarify, she is a child-free icon still. We weren't wrong because Midge is not Barbie. So I know it's really confusing, but Midge is a different character in the world of Barbie. She's wife of Alan. I guess maybe you could be like, technically, she's a Barbie because you could buy... A Barbie, but we were seeing Barbie in a very much character terms. Yeah, about Barbie herself. Yeah. Not so broadly. Let that be a lesson yeah. to you guys. Never so, yeah. ever correct us. We- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, of course. Like, please do. We actually really like being called up on little research gaps and so on. Back to Gizzy, though. She has published seven different cookery books. She is a absolute light in the food industry my favorite of her books is Gizzy's Healthy Appetite that's when I discovered her it came out in 2015 Mm. but she's written some incredible books since then and of course prior to as well 2020's book her last one was Restore which was actually all about like regenerative soil practices and how important soil is for sustainability with some really, really amazing recipes as well. I would also say her recipes just always work brilliantly. All of my best recipes that I whip out at dinner parties are hers. But Gizzy is also very much a kind of pop culture icon. She writes regularly for The Eye. She previously co-hosted a podcast, Sex Lies and DM Slides. And she's also been on TV quite a bit. She's been on several different cookery shows and other bits. She's also got some other things in the pipeline, which are very exciting. And Gizzy is also, she might not like me saying this, but she's definitely like a woman about town. Like she's friends with so many amazing, well-known people. She's always moving and shaking with Daisy Lowe, Nick Grimshaw, Jack Guinness, like that kind of London crowd. So if there's anyone that knows fame, 
it's her. I actually um, met her once. I went to a cooking class that she hosted like six years ago. It was fab. Was that when um, you did it for Google? Because I remember. Yes, it was. As in GQ, because before we ever met, I was actually prepping for my interview for GQ how funny is this and I was looking at all the articles that were on the website that I was particularly interested obviously and I was like oh food and drink and at this time I'd only about two years prior discovered Gizzy so I was like that is my dream to go and do like cookery with Gizzy and get a recipe from her and write that piece amazing who's written that piece and I was like Eleanor Halls Eleanor Halls is the byline went on a little (laughs) deep dive of your byline and was like okay this Eleanor Halls person she is she is my kind of gal. She has serious oh taste. Oh my god! I'm I interested did not in everything this. she's covering. I know. I don't think I've actually ever told you told you that. So, new fact for you there. Amazing. So, me and Gizzy inspired you in tandem. Listeners, let us know what you think of this no doubt fabulous episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, and do drop us a DM on Straight Up Pod. Yep. Let us know if there's anything you want us to chat about next week, where we'll be back once again with another cultural debrief. And we send you lots and lots of love in the meantime. Bye. So mm-hmm. we always start with an icebreaker, yeah. which is usually asking the guests about the last time they had a little bit too much to drink. I know as a long-time fan and follower of yours that you've been going through a period of sobriety that you've been doing <laughs> recently. I have been. I stopped drinking last year from uh, March to December. And I started again in December, but I actually really have, to be honest with you, um, my sobriety was built around a load of things. And it wasn't really me being a terrible drinker. It was more me being, uh, you know, just getting caught up in loads of other things, really. And um, my boyfriend really desperately needed the help to get clean. So I sort of stood behind him and was like a real support network and realized, God, fuck, when you're actually sober you can get so much shit done and (laughs) your brains are clear and I don't know it just made me feel amazing so I decided to stick with it that said at Christmas time I had my first drink and it turns out this year I've probably had about eight or nine drinks okay Um, that's not a lot we're like yeah but not even getting pissed you know I've been I've suddenly found that thing that I didn't think I was capable of which is um being able to moderate um so I the when I want alcohol it's when I go out for, for lunch or dinner and I can stop at one glass of wine. And I always knew I could because I always yeah. knew alcohol wasn't the problem. But I was never really given the opportunity <laughs> to. I just had to trust, you know, if I was with my friends, I'd be like, oh, sod it, I'll just have another one because I don't ha- didn't have the willpower. But actually now I do. And now I seem to be sort of, you know, coasting through life, um, managing to have a nice, healthy relationship with alcohol. God, amazing. I feel like we live in such a, like, boozy culture in yeah. Britain, that it's really hard to just, like you say, stop at one. It's funny. I mean, I've got, there's two things that I've always got to look at, and one of them is the, you know, my, my boyfriend's journey and mental health and, you know, his sobriety, which is literally the most important thing to me. Um, so I can't go wild. If I do, I'm an absolute bellend, you know. It's like I, I've got to look after him. But we do have a relationship where he does not mind me going out for a drink. Um, and so it's like, you know, I'm I'm able to sort of like sit sit within both of those things. And it's, re- it's really been a salvation for me, you know. I mean, I, I'm just a messy person. I love I love I love alcohol, but alcohol would lead to other things, and um, I think quite notoriously people know that about me. And um, and the other things would lead to chaos and bedlam in my life. And so that was really important for me to crawl out of that hole, which I did, and I'm feeling fucking great. 
you know, yeah. and everything's really, really solid for me now and stable. And yeah, I'm, I, I, there's been a huge turnaround on, on how I attack everything in life now. God, that's so good. And also I feel like quite reassuring as well. Like oh, say that you can reassuring. find your like happy balance. Yeah. I mean, look, think. I am very lucky, you know, my, my, um, addictions were were things that that were related to my ADHD. So mm. they're kind of weird addictions. So I I was addicted to benzodiazepines and um I so I and I need sleeping pills because if I don't then I stay up all night and I get into a manic headspace. So I started to mix a combination of sleeping pills and benzos and that got dangerous. And also more than anything it didn't feel dangerous but when I looked at what I was taking every night it was a f- ludicrous amount and it was going to kill me one day you know and so I think that that when you fought faced with that you know and that is an addiction I have to work on every single day but when you're when you're dealing with that it's not um you know you can't take that sort of stuff lightly no once you've made that change in your life and also you know taking away all the excuses I had which were well I I I can't sleep you know that's I have to do this but it's not I've just reprogrammed I mean I have to use um sedatives at night I have to because of the nature of my uh condition Mm. I have cyclothermic disorder which is associated to ADHD which means I get manic and spin out at night and if I don't take the medication, I'll be up all night. And then it sends me really mad. <laughs> so, I never sleep. Yeah, and then I'll never sleep. So, you know, but it's it's now a medication that is just for that. So I feel pretty good um, about that because it's taken away loads of, like, horrible chemicals that I was shoving mm. into my body, you know. And I just have one, although. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's more well known now, isn't it? Like, the impact that, like, drugs and alcohol can have on neurodivergent people and mm. they, they just have, like, a different relationship to yeah. it and actually it's probably helpful to think about it in a way that's less filled with like what's wrong with me or self-loathing yeah. and actually you're like oh this is like there's a medical reason there's for a it. very pragmatic yeah. reason to all of all, all of the stuff yeah I mean I'm really privileged in that department as well you know I I was somebody noticed that I was ADHD about 20 years ago and for a woman and mm. uh, a woman in my position as well I think it was very very rare and I just suddenly as soon as I was told I sort of started to understand I think <clears throat> that's how most women feel now mm. they, they're sort of learning about the disorder and it's not you know I, I don't know it took me about three or four years to actually get diagnosis but when I did it was very clear that I had all three uh, ADHDs which is um, hyperactive um, and then hyperdistracted and then combined which means you can do the two things at once which is perfect for a chef um, and it's actually a really powerful um, type of headspace you know I still feel sort of I find the whole sort of nature of neurodivergence um, being a condition which it is we can't get away from that but you know it really is just simply a, a different we've got a different brain which is a different way of thinking about things and that's it Simple it could be your that. rocket fuel and it is. Yeah. It is the rocket fuel. Um, it's also a problem. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Like, it comes with a multitude of issues. But um, by the most part, now, 15 years on, tried every medication known mm. to man, been in every position known to man, I think, <laughs> pushed every boundary, you know. I mean, the thing about ADHD people is that they are dopamine hunters. And um, you, because of your dopamine is, is irregular, you, you, you produce it in a very irregular way. So... And your synapse is smaller than the next person. So um, you are constantly needing that fill. And it is and it is an addiction. I mean, that, that's the way I describe it as well. You're addicted to dopamine and you need it. 
And as soon as you learn that as well and learn that, okay, you can manage that in that same way, that really helps too. Because, you know, if I don't, I, I sometimes don't feel like I'm feeling enough a lot of the time. Mm. Last night is a great example. I went to a naked dinner party. Oh my God, wow. It was, it naked was, dinner yeah. Party. I was writing about it for The Independent and Fun. it was, um, I saw it and these girls coming over from America called Food. And they're great. You know, she's, this girl is a 28 year old model. She's a plus size model. She's beautiful. Uh, and she d- does it for this party to sort of get people in tune with their bodies and to really appreciate the bodies for what they are, for the nourishment that they give you and blah, blah, blah. If I was going to do that party, <laughs> basically there was no booze. There was lots of meditating, really? lots of breath work. Wow. I mean, I was like, if I was going to do that party, on the other hand, I would be like, right, this would be, I would end up being a completely different thing. Yeah. We'd be a riot. We'd all be dancing on the tables, probably be working out. It would be hedonistic. <laughs> and, you know, I was just like, God, how many people in the world would go to a naked dinner party and find it a little bit boring? That's you know? quite hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really was like, where's the stimulation? Yeah, I know. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't boring. It just was, it wasn't that stimulating, yeah. should we put it that way? Yeah. So, I don't know, like there is, you know, my brain does operate in a very different way. Also, to be able to get me into that room, I'm like, right, come on, this is wild enough, let's go. I'm almost like hesitant to mention this as well. Mm. And I have seen you Mm. talk about this and I know how frustrating Mm. it is for people that have been really suffering with ADHD Mm. for there to be this like huge trend now where like everyone's getting a TikTok diagnosis Mm. and all that jazz. So, as I say, very like mentioning this with trepidation <laughs> I am literally I'm not the TikTok person it's not that way but I mm. I'm 32 mm. and in the last kind of like year and a half I've like had this epiphany almost that I'm yeah. like oh my god and it wasn't through self-diagnosis or whatever it was actually weirdly my mum read Gabor Mate's okay. book and then was like I really think you have it yeah. and I was like oh whatever shut up like mm. it's just a trend like I kind of discounted what she was saying for a while mm. and then the more I kind of did look into it the more I'm like Oh my God, that is literally me. Yeah. I mean, listen, and, look, look I, there's going to be millions mm. of people, particularly millions of women who yeah. are now finding out that they have a diagnosis of, of ADHD. And it's going to be a real head fuck because there are some very, very fine lines of what makes it, what doesn't make mm. it. And sadly, the internet has bombarded us. I mean, it's an, it's an assault. You know, mm. I turn on my social media and I'm going to say, out of every 10 of the algorithm to post for people that I don't know um there are I'm gonna say seven of them are ADHD posts and and I'm gonna say out of out of those seven posts maybe only three are factually correct Mm. or not pulling up you know I've walked into the room but I forgot my keys therefore I must be ADHD and you're like no um but actually and all like the bloody apps that like you you use this time oh, management God. app, your ADHD will be cured. Yeah, exactly. And also like my, I mean, I, I'm a big um, advocate of of taking medicinal mushrooms and magic yeah. mushrooms. Actually, I think people know that as well about me. Uh, yeah, I but, wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, that as well. <laughs> but I, the medicinal ones have been like imperative in my brain health. You know, I've been taking um, lion's mane for years. Lion's mane and um, fish oils, like really heavy doses of DHAs and omegas, have been my crutch through all of this. Because even though I do take um, proper med- meds as well, I came off my ADHD medication and went on to the cyclothermic meds, which is medication called cycloth- uh, which is medication called quetiapine. Because I found for the last nine years, I was sort of trying to get. I believed it was all about getting me to focus. And um, and that's what the ADHD's med- medication do. Now, for me, what I was really finding was the bigger problem was the 
spinning out of control when my ADHD got so manic that was really the problem so and that is a cyclothermic side of it so I've started taking meds for that and only meds for that and that's also improved my life you know monumentally it's been it's been huge anyway sorry the 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 reason I'm sort of explaining it like that is my life as an ADHD person has been so chaotic it has been just life destroyingly chaotic you know and um, I would sort of say to any of the women who are getting, who want to get diagnosis at the moment, if that is what's going on in your life, you must get on that list. Mm-hmm. But that list is now, depending on which area you're on, some places six months to two years. Six months seems to be the minimum. But there's some places in the country which are going up for seven years now. Crazy. And in that time, you've got to remember, it's not just ADHD people that they're looking at. They're looking at autistic people. They're looking at children. And... I have a bit of a problem with somebody post 30 uh, going, I need diagnosis and I and I need medication unless their life is out of control and they are going to die. You know, it, that to me is, is where it is at. Now, it's not up to me. People call this whole, whole term gatekeeping. I, I'm just now know that, you know, I've got two, um, I've got nephews that are both on the spectrum um severely autistic and the same thing is happening within autism and weirdly I find autism far more frustrating than ADHD because ADHD is is something that is a very simple there's a simple solution to ADHD it's not completely simple but you know medication certain types of therapy um and and even just the knowledge that you've got it and knowing how to manage your life from that is is really a solution with autism it's different if you're severely autistic you're you're categorizing into disability territory there yes it's a spectrum and yes there are uh, people on the really really loose end of the spectrum who have autistic traits and I appreciate that but then I also am watching my nephew who's 12 years old who's just been expelled from his autistic school because they cannot help him there and he's now like you know nobody knows what to do with him and he's he's got such severe autism and there's just not enough funding Mm. there's not enough funding for any any of uh, the extreme side of these of these uh, conditions, and you know that's that. I just sort of am, I want to understand what people want out of their diagnosis if they're not prepared to take the medication. Then what's the point? Well, it's not what's it's not the point. I know what you're saying because yeah. it, it, it sometimes just knowing is enough to make you go. Oh, I'm not mad. But I think or, if you really know, like, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Yeah, I got a so I got a referral from my GP mm. last year when mm. I was going through a really bad time. I had a really bad year, and it just had got yet yeah, to the point that it was un, mm. really unmanageable. Mm. But I got the referral from the GP, and then I thought, well, I will go private. But then. Even just doing that, that was nearly a year ago and I haven't done anything about Even it. Even going because, private is two years now. Yeah, and I, and like you say, understanding myself better has actually kind of been enough. Yeah. And I would rather do that. I've started yeah. taking lion's mane every day like, yeah. and I'd rather do those things first and then take a slot yeah. that someone else like really, really needs. I think what's amazing that's happened in the last two years is that because so many people are aware of it, there is a lot of help. Mm. So, and, and and even if that therapy, so this is where I don't mind the memes, is if those memes are just <laughs> what you're using as your therapy, it's like, oh, I feel seen. You know, that to me is like, okay, this is fine. It's it's when there's an accumulation of of the sort of box ticking, because it is it has to be box ticking now. When I got diagnosed, it was years ago, nobody was asking for a female ADHD diagnosis. So I was put on trials. So I got a hugely privileged thing where I, I had everything from my bloods taken to uh, brain scans. And, you know, 
I tried every single medication in trial form. You know, I, I, I worked with women doctors who were trying to understand the whole, the whole process. So I really feel very, very lucky for my experience. But the thing is, the, I mean, the reality is now it's completely changed. Mm. It has completely changed. And now that you will go even to a private doctor, it will be a better conversation. And there's a very clever way of doing it, which if you know, you're not really allowed to let other people know what they do. But it's very clever, which will get the brain thinking. Uh, you'll, you'll get the instant, you'll get the reaction, the, the, the impulse reaction from a person. And um, that will diagnose you, you know, in, in a two hour uh, sort of talk over Zoom normally or face to face. And then you may get a second uh, follow up and that's your diagnosis. Uh, but, uh, you know, but in some places, some people are just just doing a box taking thing of about 12 questions. And that's like that's the problem. That's where the, these sort of like therapists have come out of social media. Quacks. And, yeah, they're called quacks. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I totally hear you. I mean, that's part of the reason, like, I saw that panorama as well. But even yeah. before, I've put it off, like, looking into private, because I was like, well, if you're paying for it, surely they're just going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah. And then I feel like that's... I'm not... very lucky as well, because my private doctor is also an NHS doctor, and he's oh, that's great. doesn't fuck about, you know. He's very, very honest with me. I mean, the, the tricky thing with someone like me is that I am pure ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, on, on steroids. Yeah. So they, I think with with that... I, they, I, I don't know, it's, there is nowhere to go, but I think it must be really tricky when it's like borderline, mm. you know, and people are, look, we've got to remember as well, and this is my philosophy, which is completely unscientific, but I think it's pretty good, um, is that we've all gone through this normal trauma of um, COVID, we've all been stuck in our houses, we've all become, ex- we were bad with our phones before, but we're now extremely addicted to our phones. One of the other funny statistics I had the other day is the RSI complaints and arthritis is up um in, on an exponential level well, even. yeah and they said if you were to compare the arthritis um rise against the adhd rise you know that it's there's something very very similar going on there so there is our phones have got a lot to be responsible for you know we are creating uh new neurons in our mind which are very limited to how much attention they're prepared to put up with and and that is one of the main things we've got to we've got to understand that being ADHD you're born neurodivergent you've got a different brain you don't learn your neurodivergence you were born with it okay and there's yet yeah, you've got trauma which does act very similarly um, but trauma is something that you learn okay the neuron the brains look completely different when you put them together but they also have similar responses you know so you know not not necessarily that 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 makes anything any clearer but it might be able to sort of like make people rationalize like what they're at what potentially that they're going through gang a very quick interruption for a psa for anyone who struggles with sleep because the wildly innovative minuscule and extremely reasonably priced earplugs from flare that's f-l-a-r-e are literally going to change your life Yep, so you might remember us talking about Flair's Karma earbuds, which help people like us who are super sensitive to sound tune out distracting background noise. They've been a game changer for us both when it comes to work in particular, whether that's me writing from cafes or Elle blocking out the irritating sound of colleagues chowing down on their lunch. Plus, previous guest Sophie Alex Baxter also loves hers too. Yes, she does. And another product Flair has in its range are these sleep earplugs designed with groundbreaking technology for a very peaceful night's sleep, even for the lighter sleepers like me. So I live on a main road and since using sleep earplugs, I can finally snooze through the whole night undisturbed by traffic neighbors and building works have been sending me mad all summer i can now even open my window which is a game changer 
For me, it's my dog Arthur nibbling his paws at all hours, so other people who let their pups sleep in their bedroom will know the struggle here. And our neighbor unchaining his bike each morning at 6 a.m. for a quick pre-work cycle. I feel like I used to wake up in a bad mood literally every day because of those things, but I just don't hear it anymore. And as you all just heard Gizzy say, trouble with sleep is perhaps the most debilitating and difficult aspect of her ADHD and how a lack of proper rest can wreak absolute havoc with your mental health. And I've definitely found that since sleeping better, using sleeps, I felt less anxious and irritated all around. That's so good, babe. And don't just take our word for it. There is countless five-star reviews from customers also suffering with insomnia, ADHD, extreme sound sensitivities, and more. Plus, Sleeps Fits any and all ear sizes are unbelievably comfortable and soft, come with a replacement tip and start from only £4.95. My favourite thing about Sleeps is how once they're in, you just don't even notice they're there and they just never fall out, whereas traditional earplugs used to really irritate my ears while also blocking out less sound and falling out the whole time. Fun fact as well, on the website, there's a testimony from the actor and comedian Issy Sutty, aka Dobby from Peep Show, for all my fellow Michelin web fans out there. She is finally free from her partner's snoring, thanks to Sleep. Amazing. So what are you waiting for guys go grab your pair of sleeps starting at £4.95 from flareaudio.com that is F-L-A-R-E thank you so much to our wonderful partner Flare. I just think it's such a shame that ADHD is such a popularist thing now it's pop culture people want it yeah because it devalues diagnoses yeah. for people that really really need them and it, and it devalues what the the real grotty truth mm. is is you know I ended up in a psych ward when I first got diagnosed. That's the truth. Yeah. You know, so... Um, yeah, I had a friend who was only diagnosed this year after mm. ending up at the Priory. Right, that's exactly what happened yeah. to me. So, you know, it's like, that's that's actually a, a really big part of it. And that's what I mean, is if you feel like this is a condition that's going to kill you, <laughs> like it, it, if it's mental health and you look at how depression is, you don't, you don't hide that away. You go straight to your doctors. If you're just feeling a bit like not... Disorganized, yeah. Disorganized, <laughs> not the same thing. Yeah, it isn't the same thing. Yeah, or it, it may be. It may be a part of the same thing, but it, you're managing. Are you managing? I think that's the question you've yeah. got to ask yourself. Even even if it's tricky, and you can use the the the. You know, I have these uh, like um, afflictions that might make me this. You can use all those terms to explain yourself. You know. I hope and hopefully the the NHS will be able to sort of work a way a way through this as well. Yeah. But this is what's happening currently, and it's a real bugger. It's a lot. I wondered yeah. when you were growing up, as you say, obviously you're neurodivergent, but you've also been incredibly successful and done something yeah. a little bit different with your career mm. and your life. Did you have that feeling that you were a bit different, or that you had like the X factor? It's really weird. I wrote something about this last week. I'm writing a sort of, oh, I don't know what I'm writing, to be honest, but it's based around sort of memoir of certain things that I've had in my life, but I think I'm going to make oh, it God, fictional. Nice. Um, but one of the things I was writing was being this little narcissist <laughs> who was at, at school, and I used to sit, and it's really insane, actually. But I used to go into class, and I was able to have, like, one ear in the classroom, and then my head would be literally like transcendent in somewhere completely different, planning, plotting my whole life. Like in this, like all the tabs are open, I'm suddenly planning everything and suddenly able to see it, make negotiations with people. It was completely insane. Um, but I've seen a lot of stuff that happened in my life before it happened. It sounds bananas, but it's Do you true. think you're a bit psychic or you have amazing intuition? I don't think it's being psychic. I think it's an intuition thing. I think it's a manifestation thing. Like I, 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 did, I didn't know what the word manifestation was until modern culture sort of puked it all over me. <laughs> um, so I think that the mod, you know, I, I, I feel like 
it really was manifestation in its purest form by a you know slightly narcissistic 12 year old girl who <laughs> who just did, knew she didn't need to spend uh, the time in the classroom because she was smart enough to keep one ear in but for the rest of the time it was like literally planning world domination and I, and and so much of that came true now the problem is and I think because I I mean I'm sure you heard that I failed at all my businesses last year and so I was able to build a sort of like I, could, I, I I built sort of five businesses and made them very successful to a point, but then I couldn't continue with them for a variety of reasons. Um, but the um, the what I as an adult, what I'm trying to work out myself is how I lost that ability to have pure because it was it was suddenly I got I lost my confidence, I lost my nerve. I've people were telling me I was too much. And I was and I was taking it on board, you know. So all the things that you were kind of pure as a as a young person that gave me all this like blindsided, like not I had I didn't have a clue that I was being like ludicrous in my <laughs> in my in my expectations, and this was just my plan. And it's the truth, you know. And then suddenly life knocks out quite a lot of those things. Um, and insecurity dug in. Thank God it did, because can you imagine what I would have been like if, without any insecurity? Well, it's quite sad up. as well, though. It is sad because it's like I was building a little narcissistic sociopath, but she then life took over and <laughs> and, and then made everything messy because yeah. I I knew that I could get it still somehow, but I couldn't work out how it was how it was anymore. So I spent the time juggling and literally juggling a load of um, chaos. Mm. Um, until it all went tits up, <laughs> completely tits up, uh, which weirdly has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, because people always say you learn so much more from failure than you do from oh success. Oh, my God. And you've been so open yeah. about how difficult things have been, and you've been running these small businesses in hospitality within the context of the worst time yeah. in living memory yeah. to run a business like that. Yeah. What, what has been your biggest lesson? Uh partners right. I mean one of the main things there's three main things you're told not to do in business and I did all of them <laughs> one of them was go to business with your friends uh put your own money into business and if it goes wrong you never put your house up against a business debt and I did all of those things so um really those are simple basic rules that any normal sane person would stick to but I still felt like I could maybe well, I, I, a bit of desperation towards the end, actually. But um, by the most part, I, I felt like I could achieve those things with within those structures, you know. Those were really the main reasons that the things didn't work out. <laughs> but, you know, choosing a bad business partner, me being... Do you know what? My, my problem is that I have too much integrity to a point where I actually become a dickhead. And, I'm, and, it, and it's unpleasant, you know. I, I see my values, which are, you know, I wanted to create... Um, sort of street level food of such a high quality and such a high ingredients quality so everything was organic as grown in the UK as much as it much as it could uh within the slow food movement within the regenerative movement and I expected to make profit now people were excited about those things and they did but then by the end of it you know people still want affordable food and I wasn't prepared to budge you know one of the places in Margate I went to seaside town to open a restaurant and instead of sort of looking at the terrain, I was like, we've got loads of down from Londoners here. I'm going to bring what I want to do, which was kind of like a real honest British calf with sort of a bit of St. John's energy behind it and do a proper greasy spoon with like, a, a you know, um, 
uh, fucking what's it called? <laughs> um, like a mixed grill breakfast where you've got all your classic breakfast stuff, but with like um, chops and kidneys and things like that. Nice. That plate of food, ethically bought to you from local farms in in Kent. It was about 32 quid. Now the mixed grill next door was six pounds. Ooh. It's not going to go, it's, that's not, not going to work. And no matter how much integrity, no matter how much better it was, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, this is a, a working class um, area. It's a working class dish. And I've gone in with my, you know, fresh eyes and vision that I think I can make this a better version of that. That's, that I'm missing the whole point in the whole thing. You know, and yeah, it was bloody delicious, but it didn't work out for me. So I'm a dickhead, you know, <laughs> and I've got it. I had to accept some, some st- like tales like that. You know, it's, 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 uh, sometimes you don't know till you try. You don't know till you know, but I would know now. No, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely know that. I know that you have to work budgetary with a budget, um, to make money. I, you know, we, I was working at a 70% GP, which is kind of standard, but it did mean no, all our overriding costs were, were just so expensive and, and the product was expensive at a time when people didn't have money. So it didn't work, um, which is such a shame because conceptually, I still think it would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but And it's so true to your core values. It's so true, so true to my core values. And a lot of people's core values, yeah. you know. But, you know... And values that people are increasingly recognizing as important. Yeah, maybe you're just a bit too early for the wave. I don't know. I think I think in this in this particular instance, it's it's taking something that should sh- maybe you just don't fuck about with it with with cafe a food. breakfast. <laughs> yeah, with a calf. I mean, you can do a slightly better version of you know a slightly better quality version, but you still don't don't take it to that level. Maybe I don't know. Maybe someone else can do it and. But I know for one thing, yeah, well, it'll not be me. <laughs> so you mentioned just before moving from your home, you've got a beautiful house in East London, which yep. there was a gorgeous article on recently. So if people want to go and see the pictures, yes. they can see your exceptional interior choices. But you've moved down to Brighton to be based there yep. throughout my, the summer. My boyfriend lives in Brighton yep. and we have taken the cats down there, nice. four cats. Uh, really, because I was wanting to sell the house, I needed to just do some works on it and get it tip top and then I sort of have been using it as an Airbnb kind of thing and it's been really helpful actually um now with everything the way it's going I mean like look if anyone wants to buy my house please come and buy my house (laughs) but I can't imagine I mean I don't think I'll get I don't think anyone's even gonna get their mortgage at the moment it's like eight well it's almost nine percent the mortgages so I don't know but what I will say is living in Brighton has been joyful oh it's so nice like we walk down to the beach I've created so I've, I was kind of paralysed for a year, not able to work, um, with severe ADHD par- paralysis, which was because my s- tool for success with ADHD was having the best assistant on the planet who'd come in with coffee for me in the morning and get me up and tell me, boss me around. Um, and she went on to be a s- amazing pop star. Her name's Rose Dougal. She's just wow. Gone, she's just uh, recorded an, an album with uh, Graham Coxon from Blur. They, they're amazing. in a band called The Wave. And they are so good. And they're touring constantly now. Uh, and so she's, you know, she was my sidekick and everything. And for years, for like almost seven years, I think. So I suddenly lost her. And um, in losing her, I became completely paralysed. <laughs> like, shit, that's how I've been successful. Because uh, you, you, you buddy up with people when you've got severe ADHD. Yeah. And that's quite a typical thing when you're kids. And it sort of works as an adult, yeah. you know. So anyway, when I moved down, I was like, Matt, you're going to have to help me. 
because uh, Matt's a musician. Um, he's in a band called Luxury Apartments, and they're doing their five, five years. They've been working on their album. It's been long awaited, and so it's coming out this year. So he's kind of really in a good zone. And he, but to get by in life, <laughs> he chefs on the weekends. So we've been working together and getting low. We've written loads of things. So written a couple of TV shows. Nice. Um, I've been working on my own stuff, and so it's really hard to know. Like I don't even know. Like Brighton for me has been this sort of real sort of like space where I'm just like we every morning we go for a coffee on the beach and we're like oh. we're just like brainstorm and come up with really good ideas and then try to filter them out and so I feel like I'm getting myself back quite deeply um it's taken a while I really lost all my confidence at the end of the businesses you know just because you know it, I started to lose it as well and I'm I'm a hard uh businesswoman you know I really am tough and and I don't think people expect it from me. Like I'm, I can be really angry. I can be very forthright. I'm, there's, I'm pretty militant about not letting certain things drop. But it's all because it's I have, to be, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's all because I seek the perfection, and that is it. And I cannot. My worst thing is when people don't want to achieve that sort of they, that pe- cut, corner cutting, yeah. laziness. Uh, excuses for me are just like not an option. I want detail, you know. And it's all about the details for me. So, but I, you know, I'm sure, I haven't been that pleasant to be around, I'm sure, for some people. <laughs> and I, but it really knocked it out of me because I, I, you know, I've lost some friends in the process and, you know, I've really, 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 really lost, lost my confidence in, in, um, in that. So actually I had the year of paralysis mm-hmm. and then this sort of like last three months in Brighton on the beach, which has been like literally every day, the sun and the sea and like just your soul is slowly coming back. And while I don't really know what I do for a living at the moment <laughs> and I need to start making money again, I do feel like truly like I'm getting myself back. And, and you know, it's, it's, I'm in, I am in dangerous territory with, it, with regards to my finances right now. And I really hope to God I can break through it without ha- losing my house completely, you know, which I hope I can. But, you know, really, I sort of even said, you know, I've, I've had peace with that as well. It's... Because actually the happiness I'm having from this sort of like normal, stable existence, which isn't chaotic, is just like, I always believed I, I was one of those people who wouldn't be able to fit into, I'd be like, you know, the people, they, people aren't like me. They don't, you know, people who don't understand me aren't going to ever understand me because I don't want the, I don't want the same things. This, I operate best under stress. I operate best in chaos, but I fucking don't. I just happened to be able to like tread water extremely well. Uh, but everything imploded in the end. It did spin out of control. And, uh, you know, and now I'm in stability, which is something I always found would be boring. And, you know, even being in a stable relationship, it's like, oh, this is fucking great. You know, I feel compl- like sanity. Like, it's like, whoa, that's what it feels like. <laughs> so, you know, happiness is something that I think was quite fleeting for me for a long time. And, now I find it's there a lot, mostly, in fact, <laughs> which is cool. It sounds so cliche that I think that's so testament to the fact that, like, there's no no amount of, like, status or, like, objective success that other people can be envious of from the outside Absolutely. are enough to make you happy. And actually, yeah. you're in a different place professionally yeah. than you were two years ago, yeah. and you're better off for it. And I, think, and I think the reality is, is that deep down I know I can get it again. Yeah. 
but deep down, I'm going to do this the right way. Like, if, if anybody was to make judgment of my career before, they would have been like, you're doing too many things. I got it everywhere I went. Look after yourself. You're doing too much. Or you're doing too much. You're not going to be able to give it 110% in each thing and you'll lose integrity, which are two very critical things. And but I used to be, in my head, I'd be like, I know all these things, but I'd end up cutting them out of my head. I wouldn't, like... I just feel like this isn't happening. It's fine for me. I can do it differently. But you can't. You know, you just can't. I mean, maybe you can. Fucking good for you. Or like catch I, up with you eventually. Yeah, but I feel like it does catch up with you eventually. I so I want to find one thing that I really love. Um, I love writing again. I'm really falling back in love with writing. I'm writing for the independent loads, doing lots of food, culture and pop culture pieces which are really fun for me um because i've obviously got a big gob and i like to chat <laughs> what about books have you thought about writing any more cookery books uh yeah i look i'm always thinking about cookery books i feel slightly about the industry because i've been doing this my first book came out 15 years yeah. ago yeah 15 and i and i feel slightly like the terrain is not for people like me not for your classically trained because i was you know i went to uh, catering school and Leith, uh, Leith School of Food One, and then I also went to uh, BBC Good Food magazine on an intern placement for almost eighteen months. So I'm I'm a trained writer, right? Cookery writer. So he's been there from before the internet, you know. So I don't feel that the space for people like me is there anymore. It is about your influencers, and it is five I mean, minute. Yeah. Vegan bowls. I mean, unless unless you're sort of... I mean, I, I, I wonder, I actually don't know the answer to this, but people like Nigel Slater um, or people who don't who don't come out with television each time. You know, I wonder how, how books are going yeah. for people like that. I really fucking hope they do well because those are the greats. And we are getting some greats out of this new scene. Like, for me, it, does, it isn't a testament of talent necessarily, but it is a shame that, you know, you have two million followers, you get a book over somebody who might have been a chef for many years and but it's the way of the world and it's getting you know on one hand it's great because people more people are cooking than ever and you know ingredients shopping is going up and we always looked at it from my generation as food writers as we were the the food porn facilitators whereas now these these sort of young kids are actually getting people to cook which is something we couldn't completely do so (laughs) so it's like you know it is isn't it's an interesting dichotomy i I just, you know, I tend to feel like the the cream rises to the top, mm. and I, in most things, yeah. and you you should see that your no, no, I mean. expertise, I think, comes across so much in all of your books, though. Um, so, listeners, I was saying to Gizzy before off air, but they're literally my favorite favorite oh, cookery books of all time. Gizzy's Healthy Eating was the first one that I ever got, yeah. and it like just completely blew my mind, changed my whole understanding of what healthy eating mm-hmm. is, how you can balance like great quality beef with courgette. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, this is like literally exactly like how I see food as well I have never I've never ever made one of your recipes and it's like not worked you know what I mean whereas there are so many books where you just do feel like well this is the thing so my background was working at good food and we tested things three three times you know and we were we'd have meetings about each each recipe so I know how you structurally break down how you make a recipe that's the one thing I'm hyper confident about is is that my recipes do work also the thing I'm learning as I get older is I'm a real pedant for like history like when when I sort of see that you know the youth will get got a youth I'm like I'm like an old lady but um you know the young the young kids don't know their the history of their recipes and I and I pulled someone up recently I was like you know that recipe that recipe for katsu curry like where where do you think that came from he's like wagamama I'm like okay 
I was like, well, I actually wrote that recipe. Ragamama had a completely different recipe, but then they employed me to write that recipe. No way. And, and that is now my recipe that you're, everybody's putting out as their own. Okay, so talk to me about TV. Oh, you touched on doing <laughs> some writing earlier. For listeners that don't know, um, you did lots of te- television for mm-hmm. a while. You've done several series. You actually went through a period of being featured quite a lot in the Daily Mail, kind of having that paparazzi focus. Mm. Um, you spoken a little bit before, I think, about that scrutiny of the public eye influencing your decision to step away from TV. But I wondered if you could just tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So I, my sort of like rise to TV happened really quickly um, because I was working behind the scenes in a lot of TV shows. Um, I was working on Ready Steady Cook as a recipe writer and then went on to do God, loads of things. There's this thing called taste and then somebody didn't show up and I was asked by the producer if I could step in. So I did that and then somebody had seen me on that and put me on Cook Yourself Thin. Um, all of these things I'd been desperately not wanting to do because when I left catering school, I went and got my good food placement, I had to go and do these demos. And then after one of the demos, somebody had seen me demoing and bought me some flowers and she was like, we want to take you on. And I was like okay and I was probably six months out of catering school and it was too soon and I wasn't ready for it it's not what I wanted to do so I sort of like ran away and then it just kept coming to get me it was just like like, you're a natural you've got to do this it was like a vocation like somebody up there was like you (laughs) this is your job like it or not so then I just it kind of happened very quickly I got cook yourself thin which was a primetime channel four show I actually got fired um, after the first season because I was really shit. Um, and I was just, you know, it was kind of like the Spice Girls. There were four girls um, that got put together for their different parts of different personalities, different cooking styles. It was a really great concept, but no one got on. So yeah. so it was like carnage backstage, you know. One Direction. It was like One Direction. <laughs> um, actually, ironically enough, one of the girls, Sophie Michelle, is now one of my best friends but we weren't close at all on that show (laughs) so um and then then it stopped and then they got me back and I did two seasons on my own which then catapulted me again and that was channel four and then channel four decided to put me on a mini contract they made me do a show I really didn't want to do it was a live daytime show and I was hopeless at it and really didn't enjoy it and all I really wanted to do was I mean I was obsessed with Anthony Bourdain from 20 years ago I mean one of the reasons I cook professionally was um an ex-boyfriend of mine gave me kitchen confidential i'm gonna say over 20 years ago i think it had its 20th anniversary last year so it must have been around that time and i read it and i was like this is my life but in a kitchen it was just so wild like all the stories of like you know music and drugs and you know all of the chaos that was going i was like wow this can happen you can get paid for it as a cook you know and so I just, it, I must say, like the sort of those sorts of lights of the food really suckered me in, and that's why that's why I started cooking professionally. So when I was able to start wanting to do TV, I really wanted to mimic sort of what he did, but from a female perspective. And I got one show away, which was amazing. I was meant to work with him in Korea, so it was a show on Korea. It was I got ten episodes on Korean pop culture with food as the sort of main. Uh, sort of narrative dragging it all the way through because I'd gone out um I'm gonna say 15 years ago to work at Mama Fuko in New York uh, and had an awful experience where I got there and David Chang had been like mm, don't know what you're talking about 
they had a burst pipe anyway so I was taken off to another kitchen who was run by a Korean dude who was amazing and every night we went to K-Town and I got so inspired so my very very first pop-up restaurant was called K-Town but I did you know I, I ate at Momofuku when I was there and I was obsessed with all the bao buns and then we found out the bao, bao buns were actually from Taiwan but he, you know David Chang had done his sort of like own Korean twist on them so it was cool. And I learned how to do Korean fried chicken out there and Chimek, it's called, where you have like icy beers, like really icy beers, like actual ice in your beer is so good. And fried chicken and oh, everyone dances and get all the drag queens coming in because it's the only place open. And it's just wild. I loved it. So I fell in love with Korean food then, really. And then that's kind of why I wanted to go out and do the TV show in Korea. But also then I think about the shows that I want to make. So now, like, I, I'm making a show which is about psychedelics cool. and that's not going to be mainstream at all and that that's going to be you know there's a very focused experience that I me and my friend Andrew Clark um who's from Acme Fire Cult he um and I sort of like got really deep into this project when during COVID and lockdown when we both sort of decided to get a bit cleaner and look at psychedelics for mental health I mean Andrew's been a um plant healer for years seven years now he's been training but he was amazing. We sort of came up with these dining experiences, which use psychedelics, and wow, we want to. Yeah, they they are really incredible. Sort of, if if you look at each of your five senses, um, we're we're using a different type of psychedelic to focus on that, but not much. We're we're microdosing you throughout a meal, and then giving you the option of a macrodose in a putty four at the end of the dinner. Um, but what it really does is it shows how us how sensory. Um, psychedelics are for psilocybin is and how astute and sharp all of your senses become so as for an eating experience they're bloody perfect and i just think you know what are we looking at for the future of food you know mushrooms are really well after that new show that came out maybe less so but um mushrooms i think are probably going to save the world they're a, they're something that we really need to be sort of nourishing nurturing um uh, and understanding them a bit more and uh yeah if you can get your brain really engaged in your dinner <laughs> so it cool. really just makes everything sort of just much more delightful oh God, that show sounds so yeah great. Um, but it's fun Love we can idea. push boundaries on it i mean there's, you know our, there's the safe show and then there's the show that we actually do behind closed doors but the truth is magic mushrooms aren't legal in this country and we've had to do it outside of the country and in order to um make this TV show, we can't do it in the UK. So that's costing money and it's, and also oh, yeah. there's a lot of legislation we've got to get, work through even in other countries. So that's happening though. And then there's loads of stuff. Um, yeah, I've written, I've written loads of mad shit, but it's like really, it's interesting, cool, original. So that's what I want to, that's what I'd like to, to see myself be able to do. And I really hope that production is as well as sort of fronting TV is something that I can sort of break through into now and yeah owning your own space that's maybe less in the mainstream where you don't have yeah. to be I mean, papped by the daily mail yeah oh god yeah those days were really bad i mean the problem with that was all my friends were really well known and we we started a scene at this place street feast and before we knew it like my friend jonathan downey and uh, my friend dom they started this business which was such a vibe and so many people coming down and we had a lot of big big faces there and, you know, before long, we were all very, very good friends. And it was a scene yeah. and still is a scene, you know, behind, you know, these are still my best friends. So, um, 
Yeah, it's it's such a shame that that sort of dissipated. But unfortunately, what came with that was the Daily Mail sitting outside and then being very conscious of my love life and my friends' love lives. And it was just exhausting. Actually, yeah, really, really bad. I, it, made me, it made me stop doing television. And yeah, would you say, yeah, you didn't enjoy the experience of fame? I absolutely hated it. I still do. Yeah. I mean, like, really, like, I don't know if you noticed what was going on with Thomas Trekker yesterday. I saw him post the yeah. all white male lineup all, from yeah. the restaurant. And I actually, while my instinct immediately was what everyone else thought, and then suddenly was just like, oh, my God, that feeling when somebody just wants to cancel you. And actually, it's like, I mean, really... I'm not standing up for Thomas here because I think he handled it very badly, but I do think it's a fucking onslaught. Well, I mean, you know, actually I was looking, you know, this week Sinead O'Connor died. And I don't know if you saw, do you see Morrissey's comeback about it? Yeah. That was just for me one of the most important things that we can take away as culture. But it seemed like one day we were all behind Morrissey, the next day we're all tearing Thomas Strecker in the arsehole. It's like, come on. What's it going to be, people? Yeah, it's really awful. Like, but when you're when you when people are focusing on you like that, it's soul destroying. You know, do you just feel really exposed? It's like being it's really not exposed. Natural for people no, to th- there's a panic that you that sits in your chest that you feel like something's going to come out about you. I mean, I've been I've been on a plane coming home from somewhere where my publicist has called me and said, right, literally taking off. There's going to be naked pictures of you in the Sunday papers. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, but I'm going. And then having to wait 16 hours from a long time. Oh, flights find out actually it wasn't that bad. And, oh, my you God. Know, or that they managed to get them out of it or whatever. You know, it's it's really shit. Um, you know, there's been some... I've, like... it. I was on holiday. I'd broken up with someone and they knew something about the relationship thing really personal that so I'm like how the fuck do you even know that you know and they're funny me and they're saying unless I agreed to say that I was going out with another person who I wasn't going out with that they were going to expose this and I'm like but that's not what's happened here so look some people have way worse you look at you know people like Caroline and yeah. you know they're, they're, there's like real extremities of how bad this goes you know but uh, even the amount that I had was too much for me. Mm. I fucking hated it. And for listeners that don't know, Caroline was a very, very close friend yeah. of yours. So you've very, really very seen different. Yes. that vitriol, tab- yeah. the tabloid I've vitriol I've been involved in some hand. of it, you know. It was, it, was, uh, it was one really funny time when we went away to Dubai. Uh, we were going to Malaysia at the time, but we had to stop off in, D- in Dubai. And the press had seen us at the going in, but they didn't know where we were going. So we were kind of doing wild goose chases. So we, we started off in a Mexican restaurant and then we ended up in on a, like, punting along a river. Because obviously, like, D- Dubai had, like, like Vegas, it, had every, it has every sort of, like, cultural, like, yeah. weird. It's like a weird cesspit of, like, uncultured culture, you know. <laughs> and we just ended up in a tiki bar. It was just hilarious, you know. But then it was that trip that we came back that we, you know, that... We, there were people, like naked pictures of us that we were trying to get out, you know. So, and I've also been with her when so much bad stuff had happened. So, yeah, it's a fucking, it's, it's a horrible place. But just, I think that we really need to go back to that Morrissey quote and where, if you've not read it, look it up because it really is saying that 
we're all assholes in the midst yeah. of this because well if we're if we're the ones which are still sort of focusing on that pop culture and wanting to know the answers then we're literally responsible and yeah, if we're driving does, the clicks huh we're driving the clicks we're driving the clicks and that is we'll be driving that person's death you know we're all bloody part responsible for these people's deaths and that's the truth and there's such an undertone of misogyny i think in particular as well like being in the public eye is hard enough but being a woman in the public yeah, yeah, eye yeah, is yeah, like yeah, literally yeah. impossible yeah, I mean, that's the the thing about the Shade of Connor stuff that I've sort of really related to was being told that you know you're you know she she was told she was complicated she she was complicated you know she was uh, impassioned she was fiercely driven with her wanting to use her voice I mean I I can relate to all of those things and being dumbed down I've never had misogyny in in a kitchen if I'm honest which is interesting because people do mm. like say that the chef world yeah. can be it's, rife with that and it, actually it wasn't like yeah. that for me but what was was business uh with my business partners and every single thing I was shut down every time or told I was waiting like a banshee or hysterical or uh trying to think what else I had something else recently uh that that the absolute extremity of being called I mean like I kind of loved this that I was a megalomaniac because I I had quest queried my male chef's uh, like finesse on like de details to finesse and in your just, business in my business as a chef with decades of experience and that and then me saying that's misogynist and he's like no nobody could ever be misogynistic to you like you're like a man and it's like oh my god okay fine <laughs> oh my god anyway it's 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 all fine like I think I think you've just gotta you know I am I'm I'm Again, I gotta take responsibility for some of that. I am really tough, and, <laughs> and it is what it is, you know. But even outside of people that I guess you don't know, I mean, I wanted to ask you whether you think, yeah, like that essentially is sticking your head above the parapet in a way worth it. Because I was absolutely flabbergasted the other day on your Instagram when I noticed a commenter saying something. I hope you don't mind me saying this on yeah. air, but they you look absolutely stunning by the mm. way Gizzy has the most like amazing skin and someone had written under a lovely picture of you like too much filler like, <laughs> firstly like that's literally just bollocks yeah, but secondly like don't. who the fuck are you to write yeah. that and like literally how dare you drop yeah. that kind of hate on someone's page like I just like why what are you trying to why do why would you say that I know but these people aren't like us They're, they these people are very bored and they I don't know. Do you know what I think happens a lot of the time with this? I think people get drunk and then they think, think that's that it's what it okay. Is? Yeah, I do. Because I, if I will pull people up like, privately, DM them by saying, they, if they're bad about really about my parents, I'll find something about their appearance <laughs> or what they're doing, um, and, and I'll be like, right, and I'll say that, and I say, how do you like that? And they're like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, and I was really pissed last night. I'm so sorry. I, I'm going to say nine times out of ten, that's what happens. Um, well, but they maybe even just want your attention. Well, they I've just want the attention. Yeah. Guess before, like H, the rapper was telling yeah. us how people will DM him and be like, "I'm going to beat you up. Like this time, this place, you're like a fucking idiot. I'm going to destroy <laughs> you." And then he'll like write back, like, "Okay, then where?" And they're like, "Oh my god, sorry, mate. I'm actually a huge fan. I just wanted to see if you'd reply." <laughs> just like wanting engagement. Yeah, that's that. That definitely happens as well. It's tricky because I think from the beginning of social media, I was always one of those people who would reply. Mm. So I found it very hard not to reply, but I'm definitely learning more so just to, my reply is a nice little like on on there, whatever yeah. they've said. But it's hard not to, because then you get a lot of people who really believe that you have an actual relationship mm. and that they're entitled to you. And that every time they want to ask you something, that it's it's there for their taking. 
And you're like, guys, imagine how many people are doing this to me all day. It's like, like, you actually have job. a job with other yeah. things to do. Well, I don't really at the moment, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. But yeah. putting my head above the precipice, I will always, I mean, I know that my political voice mm. is probably not worth it. I lose tens of thousands of fans at a time. I have stopped because I used to have 22,000 220,000 followers and I got really political one day and I lost 30,000 like that. So I'm like, hang on a minute, there has to be a part of this for this. If I've got this voice, let's use it correctly. And, you know, but that was impressive. That was like, I hear that happens to a lot of people. Astonishing. On one hand, you shouldn't care. Like, I really wish I didn't care, but this is my job. And, you know, I make money through this. So I I have to be careful, but I'm always going to be political. You know, I always have... Um, a perception of of what's right. And I'm always going to push that. I wouldn't say your views. I mean, I haven't necessarily seen all the posts, but anytime I have seen you speak on something, I would say that it, they're not exactly like totally out there views. You're no, just a strong liberal. left-wing voice yeah, exactly. supporting the Labour Party. How is that controversial mm. to anyone? Yeah, I know. Like, why is this the world we live in? I know, because some people really can't, can't take feel. it. The, the one I lost the most followers for was when I... can't remember what it was. It was about women's... Right. So I wrote something about uh, what it was like to be a woman now and how it was scary, but getting scary. Uh, and I, it, it wasn't even in that in depth, but I think it had just been. It, it was an International Women's Day. That was it. And I did a thing with um, with a, a magazine, and they they made a quote, and it got posted. So I got so much attention, and then all of a sudden, I got loads of incels on me, and then loads, loads of unfollows. It was so crazy for doing an International Women's Day post. I know it was. I mean, it was. It's horrible for that. That that's what people can do. Not horrible for me. I mean, it's just horrible that that is the way of the world right now. But it kind of means we need to speak up even more. I don't know. I just feel like politically it's... I get told quite a lot of people only come... People come to me not for my politics. And I and my, even my mum and I have this conversation about what is important, you know. And I, for a long time I was like really militantly, no, I'm political, I'm going to speak out politically. And I still will, by the way. But I I don't think it needs to be the third string to my bow, you know. I think that really food and having a big gob about m- most opinion, you know, most opinions is bad enough. You know, I am, I am, a, I'm now like writing pop culture opinion pieces. Yeah. So, you know, that's probably bad enough. I think maybe let's, I don't know. I, I'll hold on to politics until something really bad happens. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Well, how do you do this? How do you manage it's this? It's really difficult. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. And also in a way, like you say, it's so hard because you want to stick to what you believe yeah. in. But and at the saying same time, this out loud, I'm like, this yeah. is what's going to happen. Who am I trying but to like, kid? You want people like, for example, something that I guess could be conceived as like less political, but perhaps still like gets people going would be mm. something like meat consumption, regenerative farming practices. Yes. And actually maybe you can have a louder voice that people will pay attention yeah, to more true. in those spaces that are that sort of true. within your world of food. Yeah. And I love the fact that I've been so right all along for that. <laughs> for listeners that don't know, Gizzy has for yeah a decade, ever since I discovered Gizzy's Healthy Eating, you've been a huge proponent for ethical meat consumption yeah. with like yeah, grass-fed cows, yeah. really high-quality farming, yeah. less meat, yeah. having lots of plant-based, but... Yeah. acknowledging that actually eating loads of processed veggie sausages that have been yeah. flown all around the world and made from yeah. soy is not the answer. And industrial farming uh, is completely out for me. But, you know, I've I've been sort of posed with a different moral dilemma now where 
we're fucking skin. I'm skin. Like, you know, people who are buying really good quality food are skinned. Everyone is skinned. So we have to look at eating as being able to feed the world. That now is the new thing. So I've actually, my my sort of ethics, I mean, I know where my personal ethics have always lied in it. They, they're never going to change. Um, but r- the practical ethics that we're taking forward to everyone you know, there's still really simple things we can do. You know, growing lentils is one of the, the things. Lentils and beans uh, in in um, Regen in the Regen movement is exactly what we should be doing. That's really it, and that, that is something that's been happening for a while. But that's what we need to push. And you know, again, it's still eating a lot less meat, but better or better using the whole fucking animal like we used mm. to. That not just turning that. I don't know. Also, maybe understanding that. I don't know. Actually, no, that's a whole different story. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting up to something very controversial, but... Yeah. <laughs> I love this one. I was at my friend's... My friend's bought um, a farm mm. his in, in Devon with the idea to have this kind of yeah. regenerative, amazing, so circular farm. It's going to obviously take a long time, but then they've only been there a year. But even this weekend, we had lamb that they... Last year, they killed two of their lambs and it's lasted them a year. Oh, all of that meat in like a big chest freezer yeah. and they've given it to family and friends it was delicious yeah, like, as well. literally so tasty and I just think like that makes so much sense it really does you know um, one of the things that I sort of feel like looking at sort of futurist ideas on food and where we're going to be going with it and I do think small holdings is, is exactly where we're going to be going because food's going to become way too expensive and impossible to grow because of the because of climate change I think you know looking at small holdings is a very clever idea for people to be doing now growing your own fruit and vegetable stop is a very clever way of looking at it um, l- looking in every capacity that you can where you look at any inner city life and uh, like sort of doing uh, urban gardening is uh is really critical too so i think from what i understand from loads of forecasters that that's where we're going to be shot in the foot foot is by food so uh yeah i'm really going to sort of like look into that space mm. quite a lot nice so back to your pop culture writing mm-hmm. you wrote an incredible piece for the eye, I want to say a couple of months ago now about your complicated relationship with body positivity. I really appreciate everything you wrote because I think while obviously body positivity or indeed body neutrality are like ideals, mm. when we've grown up, particularly as women with decades of social conditioning mm. that tells you that being thin, so to speak, is like valuable or attractive or whatever, like to deprogram mm. that is really, really tough. But I see, okay, so here's where I came at a different angle, really. Because, of course, it goes without saying that that's in in my makeup, it's in your makeup, it's in my mum's makeup. You know, all women have been built with this, you know. That said, the reason I personally felt bad about about myself was because I'm five foot ten. I've always been curvaceous. I've always had big tits and a big bum. I used to be very thin, but you wouldn't necessarily have, considered me like a, a size eight I've probably always been a 10 um but I was like that until four years ago or maybe five years ago and, I, and then I suddenly put on two and a half stone and over the like this last year I put on a stone and a half you know and I look at my body and I look at the body that I had and it's not my body and that's what I find difficult it's not that 
I'm programmed to look a certain, to, to be of a certain beauty standard. I'm like, whoa, those amazing tits have gone. Mm. It's not about and, society, uh, it's about you. Yeah, and, and, um, and well, I consider them amazing tits because they were amazing tits. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, I now have a roll around my stomach, you know. And, and I was working very hard to do something about it because I enjoy fitness and I enjoy healthy eating. And I know what it takes for me to feel healthy. This is all about me. It was nothing to do with anyone else. But I... I was frustrated with the, the the constant narrative being about, you know, how we've been programmed. Of course there's that there, you know, but I don't look at, I mean, I went to this naked dinner party last night. There were 25 women, all stuck body naked, all different bodies, boobs in every shape. You know, some people I could see their labia, some people I couldn't. You know, it was like, we're all different. It was one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen. It was stunning, every different skin color, you know, some people with body hair, some people without. It was amazing. It was an amazing thing to be witness of. Um, my prejudices weren't anywhere in that room. I didn't feel like that about anyone. I was just like, fuck women, we're amazing. We're beautiful. When I look at myself, I purely look at myself based on 40 years of experience in one body that isn't servicing me anymore. I'm not as well as I was. You know, I'm fit as fuck. And I'm, that sounds like, I don't mean like sexy fit, but I'm fitness. like, I, I'm fitness. You know, I've always been fit. I've always exercised. I've always, and I stopped. And I got a bit down and sad and my eating went wrong. And then I couldn't get it back. And I was in, again, another sort of space of chaos. And my head was like spinning out of control, trying to, trying to fix it, you know. I've lost a stone and a half now. And I think that was because really just saying that out loud and that piece has just shed so much stuff because I was trying so hard to be this modern woman who was pro body positivity, but it was making me worse. There's no doubt about it. It was harboring. It was making me internalize how I really felt. And, and I really felt bad. And the second I said, I felt bad. Weirdly, I've been able to lose the weight. That's so funny. So it's really strange. That's great, though. It is a like really cathartic process. It was cathartic. Yeah. And, you know, we've got to remember that, you know, I got to hold off for a variety of reasons, mostly because the movement has come from the LGBTQT sort of family and it's been about sort of uh, women of colour who had issues. And that's where it came from. But I think what's also brilliantly positive about that space is it it actually grew so big that every woman was able to look at body positivity and body neutrality in a way that could service them and their needs. But I really still think it doesn't have to be how we're programmed. It has to be down to our own health. Aging is fucking shit, you know? (laughs) I'm really, really, really... You know, I've got this face which is fucking jammy as fuck. I do too, I do do Botox now. I have Botox in my jaw and I do Botox around my eyes and my forehead. I do Profilo. I do every facial treatment known to man. I'm 44 in a few weeks and I'm really lucky. But my body looks like it's, it's aged. <laughs> and it makes me feel like shit, you know. Well, maybe not quite as aged, but like it, it's not it's not what it was. And then... And am I ever going to be happy with it? Because really, it's the age thing that I'm fighting, not the fatness. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, that's really the thing. And that's hard for women. Yeah, you I know? feel like for women in particular, like, it is hard. we do tend to change yeah. shape as we get older. Yeah. But- and also, you know, unless we're supporting um, perimenopause, I mean, that's just another thing that drives me mad. Like, 
my mum had me my mum's mum had her at 44 right I've had all my hormones tested you know I know I can get pregnant I also my mum menopause at in her mid 50s you know I don't for any reason feel like I should be in that headspace yet but the internet is drumming it down my throat and it's that, that I find offensive, you know. It's like for some women, it's really been a great thing for them. But is it, and this is controversial, just an excuse for people to go, oh, this is why I've put on weight or this is why I'm feeling fat. Yeah, those things are great, but this is why I've got brain fog. I mean, like, I'm just not buying all <laughs> of this stuff at, in your early 40s. Some women in their, in their mid-30s. And it's just rubbish. It's just like, I don't... I. Can we not just be allowed to do this naturally? Awareness is great, but there's a fucking assault on it. And I'm not buying it all. I'm sorry, I'm just not. And it's very, like, ageist. And it's ageist. misogynistic as it, well. It, it, it becomes misogynistic and ageist. But then maybe it's just because it's the thing I'm a bit scared about because I still don't know if I want kids and, mm. you know. But then that's why it's annoying in a way because it's like we individually grapple with those things on our, by ourselves. You mm. don't also need a load of strangers on the internet mm. making you feel worse about it. Mm -hmm. Like, no, totally. Fertility, age, whatever else. Well, that was the, my, the worst thing I ever got was somebody saying she's not accepted the fact that she's got middle-aged spread. <gasps> um, that she... I'm 43, fuck off. Yeah, I wasn't even 43. I was like 41 at the time. And, oh well, I guess God. that is middle-aged. Um, I wasn't even... No, I I'm sorry, like, like, not in this day and age where on... a lot of people live at home at 30. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But... It's weird. It's weird how much of that stuff you do take on. I'm so annoyed. I, I, took, I really took that one on. Yeah. That was horrible. There's been a few that have really, really, like, um, been shit. And the people, they love it. You shouldn't admit to them hurting you, but they do. And they don't care if, if you know... They just want your attention, probably. Yeah. To say, to a degree. But, they, but they don't care if it's sort of imposed in someone's mental health enough to yeah. have them kill themselves, like it did with my friend. You know, it's like... Like, do they take any responsibility of it when that shit happens? Like, oops, are they like, I don't know. I don't Be know kind. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like suddenly the diversion's completely the opposite way. It's like... The irony is wild. Mm, yeah. So mm. on the topic of ageism, I wanted to touch on your incredible former podcast, Sex Lies, DM Slides, uh, that you hosted with Sydney Lima. Mm -hmm. You, for listeners that don't know, there was, a, I guess, like controversy or something extremely hurtful for you whereby you guys did this incredible series it went really well you did a whole first season and then however many months later you saw that Spotify were launching a second season of the podcast which was your intellectual property you know you guys had come up with the name the format the rest of it and they had put two like YouTubers no disrespect to them whatsoever no, just two two different toasts mm. in your guys place yep. without so much as even and telling also you. taken the full IP of the creative direction that we'd 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 put for our show, they just basically superimposed these people into our creative, not just for the format, but for how the whole thing looked. Again, it was very weird. Um, look, there's not much. It's hard to know what we're allowed to say about mm. it. Um, Spotify said that they take their IP rights very strongly. We have finally got them on the Zoom. Um, they admitted fault in a variety of things. Um, they put our podcast back up. We then were in negotiations about where that was going to go, what that looked like next, you know, because um, there, there were some flaws in the intellectual property rights. Um, 
the podcast had been signed off, but was something which we didn't believe was us handing over the IP. We still, to this day, don't think that that's what it says. Anyway, there was still a big issue that needed negotiating and resolving. And it's still ongoing with... Uh, I mean, Spotify pretty much ghosted us the last three months. We were really getting somewhere. And now we've written to the head of Spotify two or three times. We know he's got the the messages. He's just doing nothing about it. So but actually me and Sydney have come up with a new, a new podcast, which is sort of better. And we're, we're going to, we just need to get around to getting, getting it up and running. Um, I think it was such a kick in the balls when all that happened. And we also thought that the, you know, we had a million people on us wanting to do new podcasts and then we couldn't quite find out what was right for us. So I think we've had a year to a year in October where we work out exactly where we want to go. And I think I think we're ready. We've got we've we've come up with a really strong format. I think it's quite it's depressing, but also just so indicative of the creative industries. I feel oh, I mean, like... they do not give a fuck. It's absolutely obscene. I mean, they've basically like it sort of raped and pillaged us for for, for our, our creativity, and then are in complete denial. And then the audacity to just ghost people when you're in when you're in legal conversations, like it's like we're in a legal toing and froing. But can we just put it to bed? But there yeah. is no. No, I was literally horrified when I saw that because I was like, if that happened yeah. to us, I'd be like, I just I I cannot fathom that someone could like steal our podcast. No, no, they you can. know, like I just I'm yeah. like, oh no, they can. No, they can like, really, really, really can. Unless you've actually like. Then the thing was was that we hadn't. Um, the main thing was we hadn't put it down as our business. So um, that so then the day before we found out, they'd registered it as a business. So it was like you oh, fucking prick, slimy snakes. Yeah, I know. If we went to if we went to court, we would have a we would have a thing. It's just that's so stressful and expensive and all of that. Court. Like, it's just like, <laughs> is that really what you want to spend your time doing? Like, I don't know. Half it's me, hard. Half me is just yeah. like just a fucking On prove principle. the point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you have amazing taste generally, as we've covered lots. I wondered if you could share some recommendations. So restaurant recommendations, either London or Brighton. In fact, even like the whole country, like what are your top spots? Mm. So my favourite restaurant in the whole of the UK is Mitch Tonks' restaurant. It's called The Seahorse and it is in Dartmoor. Ooh. And it is absolutely stunning. It's like a, it's a beachside restaurant, but really British, but really elegant. I mean, I've been on way with Mitch to a variety of places on, on the coast before, and he is just a seafood. Uh, like, he, he is the, the the person for fish in this country. He's so good, and he so knows what he's doing, but it's really honest food, and I just love him and his love of wine, the fact that it's a family business. Um, so him would be my numero uno. I also, you know, I'm a big fan of eating in okay well in brighton where am i eating in brighton at the moment i love um burnt orange is amazing in brighton uh the little fish in hove is so good as well it's like a little tasting menu of just really good fish um god there's so many places uh that i love but then you know in london i where am i really big into at the moment god i went to cole the other day which was outrageous but so oh, expensive yeah, I've, I've been to the bar the mezcaleria downstairs yeah. but i've never eaten at the restaurant because it's like a set menu isn't it, it is like a, a set menu. menu it was it was alarming an the, experience yeah but... it was an alarming experience yeah. of deliciousness <laughs> um i love i mean like i love brat i'm really excited to try mountain which is his new restaurant i love oh god you know where i really want to go to is um lisboa 
Well, oh, yeah, yeah. the Nuno Mendes one. Yeah. Desperate to try them. God, some of the best fun I've had has been in like really random places. Actually, where I'm going to go after here is to Chinatown and I'm going to go to um, CNR Cafe, which is this tiny little Malaysian just for some roti chennai, which is like a basically like a roti bread, which is so crispy, like a croissant, mm. and you dip it in curry sauce. Oh, That's basically what I want for my afternoon Yum. snack. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to see Barbie later. Are oh, you? Yeah. Oh, God, exciting. I, I saw it last week. Are you a big like film TV buff? Do you watch? I love film, but we, a... we both love horror movies. Oh, okay. Obsessed. Like we, we've watched every horror movie known to man. I actually think the sort of the, the psychopath side of things, I've sort of definitely ticked off the narcissist and the sociopath. The psychopath of like being immune to any feeling during a horror movie is just like. Uh, but that's, like, that's an ADHD thing. I get my kicks from dopamine. Yeah. What's your favourite horror film? What do you think? Uh, is as, a, the as a brand, I love the um, the Freddy movies. I love uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. But um, my favourite horror movie, I, I like the intelligent ones. So I saw a film recently called. Um, Fuck, what's it called? Um, Infinity Pool. Oh. And it was so fucked up. Is that the one with Mia yeah, Goth in it? Yeah, Mia Goth. It is I've not seen really it. really good. I really enjoyed that. And I really like things like Hereditary and I love Midsommar. I like things which are just pretty fucking gross. All I think spooky shit. Yeah, but I also <laughs> like things where they you're taken on a... Like my worst thing would be... A, oh gosh, I shouldn't probably say this publicly. But a home invasion. Like all yeah. that sort of stuff where you your autonomy is completely taken away from you um, and somebody has control over every move that happens with you and your family and you're almost definitely going to die. That would be like my hell. That's the one thing that I feel. <laughs> I feel inside because it's... It's almost close to home. To be triggering almost. Yeah, like I... Because I, I, I'm the sort of person that would be right up front, front fighting. If that was all taken away from me, I couldn't do anything. Have you seen the menu? And yes. what did you think about it? I thought it was... I mean, I love her so much. I had such a fun night with her one day. Um, <laughs> and your Taylor-Joy. Yeah. Um, I thought it was Go clever. It was, it, was, it was original. It was clever. It was showing our sort of chef masters and their arrogance and the fact that, you know, we were looking at the future of food, like, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody was that mad yeah. <laughs> um, because they were so f- fucked up to do with the criticisms that they'd had within their <laughs> world. I don't know. Um, I thought it was clever. Yeah. Very, very clever. I don't think it was the best film I've ever seen, yeah. but I do think I, I did enjoy it. What was your fun night with Anya Taylor-Joy? I don't know if I can tell you. <laughs> appropriate for being on it. Very air. inappropriate. Yeah. Met her at a party and we, uh, yeah, just hung out the whole night. Oh, fun. She was fucking great, actually. Oh, nice. Who, yeah, who would you say? Have you ever been starstruck? Like, say, so you kind of, you know lots of very well-known people. Andy Bourdain, I was starstruck by, but uh, he, I didn't even get close to him. He was about <laughs> 10 foot away from me and... No eye contact or anything. And I was convinced that, that if I did get eye contact, so that he was going to fall deeply in love with me. <laughs> but um, no, but I was too scared yeah. to even look at him. Yeah. So that, that didn't work out. What do you say is the most liberating thing you've ever done? Hmm. The most liberating thing I've ever done has been... Ooh. I've done so many things. So, I mean, I used to... Um, one of the first modelling jobs I got, I think I spoke about this on Sex Lies, was, was at Torch Garden. And I was very young, too young. And uh, I had to walk down a runway with uh, what was meant to be a conical bra, but it snapped and I had to go <laughs> braless. Oh um, 
and it was like fuck this they're just tits that's actually great <laughs> from a, from a very young age so i just i think sort of my relationship with my body really has been re- pretty good up until recently yeah. you know so i think you know love that or and also growing up with a very liberal mum mm-hmm. and bodies always being sort of you know, i never had any issues with my weight sort of in the opposite side i never had a eating disorders because you know our bodies were made for food and very much for food and we really were, were brought up to enjoy food but we we're always kept active and you know it was all very healthy yeah i think which is a privilege I yeah know. you realize that i think as you get older yeah like not to have any kind of like disordered eating habits yeah put on you as a child is yeah. like a huge really huge for the rest of your life yeah okay we're coming to the end of our time and mm-hmm. um, i just wanted to ask you firstly Please could you set the record straight for us? So mm. what's the biggest misconception about you that you'd like to correct? Or is there like a rumour that you've heard about yourself on, or seen about yourself on the internet? Um, I don't know. I, I spoke about this recently and it's not really a misconception. It, it's, you know, my family are aristocracy. So whenever you Wikipedia me, you will find that I have a title. My title is ludicrous. I'm the Honourable Griselda Maxwell <laughs> of Rerick. But... That, it stops there. Like, I've never used my title. My father didn't want us to use our title. Um, It is on my passport. It's on one of my bank cards because that's what's on my passport. But I don't use it. I've never used it. I've never had that privilege. I mean, I've had privileges that have come from that. I'm not delusional. You know, my my parents uh, definitely raised me a certain way. And that is because they had privilege. But we never had money, not a penny. We ran out of money when I was about nine and my mum and dad broke up. I went to state school. My mum still lives in a council house. You know, my life is is straight down the line as most people get. You know, I've really, you know, we, we have some, have very strict, you know, I've been rich because I've earned a lot of money, but I've also, you know, that wasn't my start mm. in life. Um so I feel like, you know, privilege is such a strange word because it accounts for so many different things. It doesn't always account for money. And to be, of course I'm privileged from having great parents, you know. Well, not so great, <laughs> but sort of greatish parents, you know, by, by the most part, great parents. Um, but yeah, just seeing when, when I just get absolutely petrified when people see that I'm titled, that they assume that I've been to so, private school or that I have, like, everything that I've achieved has come through my parents' money. Everything that I've achieved has come through my money that I have earned, you know. And that is the, that's the, the truth. Like, I support my mother, you know. We all do. And it's like, that's basically what our story is. Um, yeah, it's just frustrating because I think, as you say, like a an aristocratic title gives people a perception that isn't yeah. actually I mean, true. I kept it quiet for years. Someone, I don't know who the fuck it was, went on Wikipedia and keeps putting it up. We'd take it down. They'd <laughs> Why keep do putting do it up. Why do these things? Why would you And then like with loads of information about my father and it was just like, oh, you know, he is my dad, but he died when I was very young. But before that, he went bankrupt when I was very young. Uh, and my mum and dad broke up when I was very young. And... You know, we were sleeping on cardboard boxes at one stage, like in in a house underneath coats. That's the, that's the truth, you know. So that's I remember that more than the privilege, you yeah. know. But we did our, my life started off very privileged. It did. And then finally, we always ask our current guest a question from our previous guest. They don't know who yep. it's going to be, but this time it was Caroline Calloway with a question for you. She would like to know just. A nice easy one from Caroline, oh, classic. God, I know, but fair. Yeah. 
what's something you've never told anyone before? <laughs> so if you could just tell me, a stranger, and all oh, of our listeners, funny. that would be um, I don't know if there is anything I've not told anyone before because <laughs> I literally tell everyone everything. <laughs> what have I not told anyone? I, I, I genuinely don't think there is anything that I, I can't keep secrets. I can't keep things to myself. What is there? That's impossible. Caroline, you've like stumped me. <laughs> so do you have then a question for our next guest? What is the most complicated thing that you've had to cook for someone? Ooh, that's a fun one. Mm. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Kizzy. Don't be so, thank you. That was really fun. Amazing. I really genuinely... I'm so happy. 